Trevor, what is up? Mr. Kruger, how you doing? I'm good. I'm doing pretty good. Um, I'm pretty sore, actually. My legs are really sore today. Is this chicken coop related? No, we planted leeks uh, over the weekend, and um, I think that was Saturday morning or something like that. And I woke up the next day, and just my hamstrings were just like in a, in knots. It felt like somebody tied my hamstrings in knots. And then it took me a minute to like I was like, because I've been doing body weight exercises, so I thought, what did I do that got me? I was kind of thinking back through my routine over the week. I mean, I do mix in legs. I don't I don't skip leg day, but I didn't couldn't really recall anything and then I then it dawned on me that just planting leeks destroyed me so you're you're so busy out there on the farm <laughs> always got it's Friday. Always got a project and they're still sore so yeah there I mean I don't know it's there's always projects and apparently I'm not built for this kind of work um and then yesterday just thinking I'm coming out of soreness I thought I got to Got to do my leg day, so the missus and I did 100 air squats, and then every other portion of my leg that wasn't sore, now today is sore. So not only do I, <laughs> it balled those hammies right back up, and then the rest of my legs are sore as well. So that's where that's where I'm at. Um, how you doing on the diet and exercise front? Um, I'm in the process of surviving <laughs> my uh, my current term of graduate school, so it. Uh... It kind of varies, varies by the day, varies by the project I'm working on. I'll tell you, it's a lot easier to uh, to maintain a diet when you're afraid to go to the grocery store. So for me, uh, one of my longtime habits is going out right around nine o'clock. No traffic on the road. Take a drive. You know, hit up hit up Safeway, hit up Seven Eleven, get something I shouldn't be eating, and and just drive around. And uh, yeah, that's that's really hit a hard stop the last month or so. So I've been passively losing weight without, without much effort. But, uh, the exercise front is really, I'm starting to feel it. I'm, you know, I'm used to working out on a regular basis and, uh, now with the gym shut down and I've never been much for body weight exercises. I know they're, I know they're good for you. It's just, it's always, it's always been weird for me. So yeah, exercise is kind of atrocious right now. I mean, what's your what's your workout routine look like? You're lucky you've got the weights in the in the shed, and you got the pull up bar in your room, right? Yeah, um, I've always been kind of like inclined to do weights. Um, the big the big three, you know, like bench press, deadlift, squat, but um, that requires going out to the shack, uh, which literally is a shack. But at least you have access. That's that's nice. It's you can do it. You can you, do it. You if know you how, but you know how long and cold and dark the winters are in Nagano, right? Like it's ridiculous. Oh, I, I know. Yeah, no, I've been I've been in the shack. It's a painful experience. But right now is your. This is it. This is the one month, or is it next month? The one good month you have of like it's comfortable shack life. Yeah, there's two. There's so there's like um, this month. And then maybe like September, October. I think I got a good three or four months of the year that like it's comfortable to be in the shack. Mm-hmm. But um, I read up online that um, you really don't want to have extension cords, like outdoor extension cords plugged in for long periods of time as a fire hazard. Mm-hmm. They've been out there for like two or three years, like <laughs> supplying juice to the shack. So I could go in there and flip a light on because, you know, it gets dark really early in the wintertime. 
So you can't, obviously you can't go out there and work out, um, in a farming shed, uh, after dark <laughs> without some kind of lighting or else the tanukis and civets and everything else will jump on you and eat your face off. That wouldn't stop a real man, would it? I've, I've done it. I've gone out there with a headlamp on, you know me, with the lumens and whatnot. I've gone out there and I've done a workout with a headlamp. <laughs> <laughs> the ridiculous thing. I've only done one. It was like a dumb idea right from the start. I did get my pump on and then got out of there, but like never again. So anyway, I got rid of all of the um, extension cords that had been feeding power to the shack for the last few years, thinking I'm about due for like a major fire and I don't want to burn down my family's house. So uh, currently there's no power in the shack, um, which means I have to work out before it gets dark. And so all throughout the winter, I just got into the habit or rather lost the habit of going into the shack. So I'm, you want to stay where it's warm anyway, like, right? You don't want to be working out in like minus five temperatures. So I thought, well, what can I do? I can't bring the power rack into my house. There's, I'd probably rip through the tatami floors and you know what I mean? Just destroy the house, <laughs> right? I don't even think. Yeah. Like my floorboards like creak and like bend when I walk on them. That's like Americans like myself were not designed to live in Japanese homes that were built a hundred years ago. Modern homes is fine. It's not a big deal. So I, you know, even doing like kettlebell workouts in the house, I feel like upstairs, if I did a kettlebell workout, it would just shake the whole house. And I've done kettlebell workouts downstairs, but that feels weird. You feel like you're going to drop it on the hardwood floor Mm -hmm. and then that's it. You're out like, I don't how many thousands of dollars would that be if you dropped a kettlebell through your flooring? So um, I thought, well, what are the alternatives? So, you know, many months of the year, it's cold, dark, and like you don't want to do anything. So bodyweight exercises. And I got on Reddit's, you know, bodyweight exercises thing and put up the pull-up thing in the room. And I don't know, but I'm doing other things like, um, oh, man, yesterday I, maybe it was the day before yesterday, I did um, planks, two-minute planks, five sets of two-minute planks. Mm -hmm. Have you ever done that? Um, yeah, I've done, I've done planks before and, uh, for two minutes, you ever done the the two minute challenge? I don't know. I probably not probably, probably 30 seconds as part of a, like a circuit training routine. Right. So this is, these, these are not like the in push up position planks. These are the elbow planks. So that you've got your forearms Forearms on the ground mm -hmm. and I, I tend to like throw out my back if I do anything weird with it. So, um, I'm doing. Like my butt is just ever so slightly raised into the air. I'm very much engaging my core, engaging my shoulders and everything. It's like I'm clearly hitting all those spots. But I um, I used to think that like your back should be flat, right? That should That's the way to do it. I don't think it is. I think that's how you throw out your back. So you don't want to have like a V, inverted V shape either. You don't, you're not trying to make a mountain that's not... Right. The downward dog pose or whatever it is in yoga. So just slightly arched uh, back with the butt in the air just a little bit so that you don't throw out your back. And then you're uh, on your elbows there, um, forearms rather, for two minutes for each. And then you kind of put, I mean, you don't, you, you got to space them out. You got to put like three to five minutes between sets because you'll be devastated. after Like after two minutes, my whole body is shaking. There's beads of sweat on my head. You know, if we had a dog in the house, that's when they'd be running up, licking your forehead and pitying you. Um, instead well, of they'd the be, kids, they'd be doing they'd be, be doing something to you, but I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what it's, it would be. My my son walks up to me and he's like, "Why do you have? <laughs> why is 
why is your head wet? And I'm like, cause I'm sweating, you know, I'm, I'm like shaking and stuff. And he's like, what are you, what are you doing? And I'm like exercising. He's like, Oh, cause you want to be big. And I'm like, no, not really. This isn't <laughs> going to make me any bigger. Actually. I just want to, you know, I don't know, be healthy. I want to get the blood flowing. And like, I always feel better after I exercise for me. It's more like, um, for the mood i think i feel mm-hmm. like everything functions a little bit better after i exercise like i don't think i'm losing weight if anything it makes me hungry and eat more and then i gain weight after i work out so when i really want to lose weight i don't exercise but i if i feel better when i do so that's why i do it get those endorphins going you know it's interesting yeah. that, you, that you talk about working out i've been reading um are you do you know david goggins no idea who that is he's been on joe rogan's podcast a couple times uh, he wrote an autobiography. He's a um, former Navy SEAL, Army Ranger, Air Force paratrooper. Like yeah. this guy, he's a ultra marathon runner. And it's so interesting to listen to his story. And if you want to feel like a total piece of crap <laughs> and like that you have all the excuses in the world for like not exercising, this is the guy that you want to listen to. Um yeah, I don't know. Like it starts out and he's like, he's super fat. He's like 300 pounds and he wants to be a Navy SEAL. And he goes to the recruiter and the recruiter's like, well, you know, the cutoff is like 28, I think 28 years old. You're three months away and uh, you don't meet the minimum weight requirement. You got to lose hundred pounds in three months. And he did it. He went home and he lost hundred pounds in three months. Didn't know it was physically possible. Went out there, passed every kind of torturous Hell week in the military, the military could throw at him. Wasn't enough. Went out, ran a hundred miles, um, to qualify 100 for miles. hundred miles in 24 hours to qualify for his first ultra marathon. And at the time he had been doing like powerlifting. So he was jacked, but he had no cardio and he, he did it like on a whim, like a week before the event. I mean, he was at the end, he was pissing blood and he couldn't walk. And his wife thought he was dying and barely got him home. Um, and that became his thing. And then he set the the world record for most pull-ups in 24 hours. So I don't think he, he still has it. But yeah, if you want to feel terrible, like you're just like the laziest person talking about doing two minutes worth of planking, like <laughs> this is the guy to go listen to. It's been it's been a really he interesting kind of sounds book. like Dean Karnazes, the uh, the ultra marathon man. I, I read his book uh, a number of years back. He was also one of those guys that would just do crazy stuff like run a marathon a day uh, in each state for like 50, 50 days back to yeah. back to back. There, or, there are some people that really like to torture themselves physically. Yeah. Like in the book, he talks about like, oh, I ran 200 miles or something like that and then timed it perfectly to, to join, to sync up with another marathon that was like kicking off. Mm-hmm. And so he's like two thirds or halfway through that marathon when somebody's passing him and he's and making comments and you know, like that guy who who's passing him has no idea that he ran 200 miles like prior to, <laughs> to joining the marathon that he was in right there. Uh, another one of those guys who just cannot, uh, cannot stop. But I'm, you know, when I think of Joe Rogan experience um, and just the sort of alpha male gun ho, workout a holic uh jocko willink comes to mind are yeah, you familiar another, another navy seal yeah he talks about discipline his thing is is kind of very much about discipline whereas uh interestingly enough that because i've read his book as well um extremely uh extreme leadership 
or extreme ownership rather. This is part um, of your your graduate program, I'm sure. Ye, well, yeah, it's optional reading, but yeah, it's it's basically management, <laughs> Navy SEAL, SEAL style uh, management. But uh, <laughs> Navy SEAL style management. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you're being serious, right? I am. No, I am. Yeah, I have I have read it. Um, and it's interesting because he's so much about self discipline and, um, taking command of of your life and you know not making excuses whereas david goggins is very much more it's more mental a lot of what he talks about is kind of the mental game of overcoming he had a very hard childhood and he made a lot of excuses for himself and it's like a lot of it was opening up emotionally and dealing with his past that kind of helped him helped fuel his you know his kind of meteoric rise in these these uh kind of inspirational circles becoming this inspirational speaker um and yeah Jocko is just have you ever listened to his podcast yeah I tried to listen to like one or two of them um I'll probably revisit it again but when he started the sound quality was kind of shitty I mean he was like yeah you could tell that he didn't have a pop filter on his mic and he's like yeah um the clipping just constantly clipping and I'm like fuck I can't listen to this so it's, um it's gotten a lot better but I have a hard time relating to a lot of the advice he gives because it's like I'm 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 super into self discipline and um you know m- motivating yourself to be better and a lot of the things he talks about but it's I don't know there's just something about when he gives advice a lot of his segments are directly answering questions so instead of having guests on he just takes questions from his his you know Instagram yeah. followers his Twitter followers and he answers them on the show his Instagram is primarily photographs of his watch at 4 a.m. when he, <laughs> yeah, get up and up get after it, yeah, to go work out, yeah. So, and which anyways, is crazy, interesting. Both both Navy SEAL guys kind of served at the same time, and very different kind of perspectives on on leadership and and uh, self reliance, things like that. So, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> that's where I get my motivation yeah. from. Recently, stop being a piece of shit and go out and do something. Yeah, I, I I don't have that kind of self discipline or um, desire to punish myself that much. Neither do I. I just wish I did. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I have because I know you like um, quizzes, Trevor. So oh, for oh today's God. podcast, I uh, <laughs> this has become a thing. This is a thing now. Actually, it's 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 pretty easy. So um, I'm gonna play a couple clips for you, and all you have to do is identify what you hear. How's that sound? It sounds hard. Okay, here we, here we go. First one's easy. Would these be frogs? Correct, sir. These are frogs. Um, I think you probably remember living in the countryside of Japan does anything, does this sound bring back any memories? Yeah. So for me, and it's probably not the memories, whatever memories you're trying to trigger here. But for me, when this this time of year, spring would come, there were two types of animals that would come out in mass and make my life worse. And they were frogs and they were spiders. And I referred to it as oh, the that great corridor at the apartment yeah, complex. Yeah, the great is ridiculous spider frog war. So this corridor at my apartment complex, it's outdoors, and this time of year, it's like they would till up all the fields or something, and all these spiders would come take refuge 
in this hallway. And then we had all the frogs that would come in there and they would just, they would go at it. You'd see dead frogs and spider webs. And these are, I mean, these are big spiders and you'd see, you know, half devoured spiders. And I mean, these things were, it was all out war. So yeah, I do remember, (laughs) remember the frogs. I remember the spiders. Yeah. I, um, cause I lived in that apartment complex before I got married as well. And, um, it was kind of freaky. Just suddenly you'd come home from school one night and there'd be frogs everywhere. They'd be yeah. on the streets. They'd be, uh, when you open the door to the apartment complex, all over the glass there <clears throat> in the corridor, you name it. Um, and then when it rains outside, all these frogs, these little cute little green frogs that are um, in the rice fields, they'll come out and they'll go onto the street and then people run them over with their cars, obviously, because they're, they're not going to stop driving because there's frogs in the road. So you have this, I mean, there's dead frogs everywhere on the road. And then it just stinks. It just stinks like frog guts. Um, so, yeah, my initial feelings towards frogs in the countryside were not particularly great. But um, I kind of like it now. So, like, every spring... When it just starts getting warm enough uh, so that you can open your windows at night, uh, you're you're greeted to this sound, mm-hmm. which is kind of just gentle and like it's a a murmuring kind of like bubbling background noise. It just sends me off to sleep. And you know, over at the apartment complex over there, there's no rice fields, so you don't get this massive chorus. Like you get right outside my house because there's rice fields all around this area. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's incredibly powerful sometimes. Like it's yeah. so loud that you can't so, even... Like if you went outside and walked over towards the rice field, you can't hear anything else. It's just incredibly loud. So it's, uh, it's kind of nice. I kind of like it. Spring has arrived. Mm-hmm. Here in Oregon, my house, directly behind my house, um, is a large uh, wetland that's owned by the city. And so we have a lot of frogs. So that was a sound I really grew up with as a kid. Every uh, every spring and summer is the uh, the frogs coming out. That's pop quiz number one and relatively easy, I would think. I just wanted to take you back to springtime in Japan. It's quite relaxing. It is. It's kind of nice. The next one is a little bit trickier. I've got actually got two sound clips. They're, they both cover the same thing. So the, the referent is the same. Let's see how you do. Here we go. Now, would this would this be the fox you were talking about? <laughs> yes, it is. Okay. Originally, I, w- I was thinking maybe a bird, but I, I do recall you saying the fox uh, screams. Yeah. So this is a vixen. This is the sound of a vixen Ooh. in heat in spring. Your doge's lover. That's right. And my dog, uh, as you know, is a purebred 
doge and he's very handsome and he kind of looks like a fox only like studlier like a little bit stronger and so every spring these vixens come out and um this is i've got another clip for you this is actually more like what it sounds like just imagine the sound amplified obviously i can't pipe this into your ears amplified times 100 because everybody would be like come on jeff you know so the volume has <laughs> right. been turned down right so ima- just imagine this being so loud that even with earplugs in you the first time you hear it you dart up in the middle of the night you know like a bolt and like or like what is that sound like what the fuck is going on so mm-hmm. this is more like what it sounds like Oh, God. So this was a recording taken um, from the forest. So you can kind of hear that echo of the forest, and it's out a little ways. Yeah. Where I live, I'm not in the forest, and the vixens will, a particular vixen will come right up under my window and just screech, like right toward, it's just, it's insane. And it sounds a lot like, like almost like a human scream in some in some ways. It does. How How long did it take you to realize what that was like the first night you heard it did you think somebody was being murdered in the street yeah the first the first time it happened to me which was probably i don't know four or five years ago um it was like right out in the garden and it was screeching like that and um i immediately woke up and uh i thought yeah i mean my thought was that's a human screaming like what is going down so our 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 uh our house has what would you call them those wooden spears that farmers used to use for like defense purposes you know in the show <laughs> before the show era like 100 150 years actually the spears in our house i guess they're spears what would you call them pikes like what would you call those things they're um they're more than 100 years old i think uh, because the house is that old, but these are, would have been like passed down, you know, generation to generation. Um, when we remodeled our house, my father-in-law put up a rack, almost like Americans have gun racks in their house. And those spears, like he put up in the hallway downstairs. And I was like, is that a decoration? He's like, no, that's defense. I'm like in case like Japan is like one of the safest countries in the world but he still has this fear of like maybe I don't know home invasion or something I I don't and these are just pointy wooden sticks yeah they're like I mean you couldn't have there's not a blade on them they're pointy yeah you can see that it's almost like been sharpened to a blade at the at the tip but um you can't have swords in Japan right like they confiscated all the swords how it was 150, 200 years ago, a while, a while back, right? So, um, and I have more to say about that, but I just can't due to the laws. So, um, <laughs> you know. are we talking Meiji Restoration? Are we talking mid 1800s? Uh, when did they outlaw swords in Japan? Ooh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a wild guess. Look it up. I'm gonna say 1848. Okay, so this would have been the sword. Abolishment edict. Um, are we talking nationwide? Or are we talking just nationwide? Well, um, because before that, obviously, 
people of a certain class couldn't have swords anyways. Right. So so the sword um, abolishment edict, Haito Rei, was an edict issued by the Meiji government of Japan on March 28th, uh, 1876, uh, which prohibited people with the exception of former lords, that is daimyos, mm-hmm. uh, the military and law enforcement officials from carrying weapons in public. Um, so that after that, um, pretty much any common person would have their swords uh, confiscated. Okay. And, you know, people still have swords in Japan today, but you have to register them as like a family heirloom or like a decorative item. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, anyway, um, I have more to talk about on that front. I just can't publicly because of the sword (laughs) abolishment edict. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so yeah, our house is protected by these spears downstairs. And um, I heard that. And um, if I would have had a sword on hand, um, theoretically... Hypothetically, I may have grabbed a sword and ran out into the uh, garden. <laughs> but I won't say that because there was the sword abolishment edict of Japan in 1876. So it wasn't a sword that I went for. It was, I went downstairs and I grabbed the uh, one of the pikes off the wall and ran out into the garden. And that's when I saw a fox. And it wasn't particularly like freaked out to see me. It was like a uh, vixen kind of like, I, I wasn't sure if it was, a male or female fox, I came to find out later that it was a vixen and it was kind of like in heat and that they kind of a- approach the male foxes. So this vixen had taken a liking to Den, my mm-hmm. doge, and come into the garden was was yelping. And since then, it's come back every springtime. Um, and it, it just, like last week, woke me up in the middle of the night. I had to chase it out <laughs> of the yard. Um, <laughs> Is Den into it? Is he down? Is he down to clown? He he starts barking like crazy. Like, you know, get out of my yard kind of bark. So I don't think he's down. I don't think I don't think the doge is down with the vixen. Now in Japanese mythology, traditionally the fox is a shapeshifter, right? That can right. usually take the form of a, a human or beautiful female human, beautiful woman. And uh, do you think that that noise has anything to do with that? I mean, that's the second one uh, in particular really sounded like a person as opposed to an animal. Yeah, I mean, um, I haven't been able to get a recording of of my vixen, but my vixen is even louder and sounds even more like a screaming human than those two recordings do. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, you could see a villager hearing that scream and running into the woods and finding a fox and being like wow that was clearly a woman now it's a fox maybe that's where the mythology comes from i've i've never i've never heard that sound before so yeah so it's a crazy sound um speaking of vixens yes though um there's been some news great word vixen (laughs) yeah there's been some (laughs) Some news lately related to Japanese vixens. I don't know if... Actually, I think you have one story on that front. Uh, yeah, the one I sent you earlier. I want to hear yours, though. Let's see Let's see what you got. Okay. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, so I'm not sure how many of our listeners are familiar with Okamura Takashi. He's um, 
he's a comedian and usually he appears on like as a host on certain uh Japanese TV shows. I think if you saw his face, if you if you had lived in Japan and you saw his face, you'd immediately recognize him because he's almost on TV like every day. Um, he's I think he's originally from Okinawa. Um, anyway, he's this uh, former comedian slash like host TV personality guy who um, <laughs> made made a very strange comment on All Night Nippon Radio uh, earlier this week. He said, um, okay, so he, he had somebody, a listener, who was complaining that he was unable to visit any massage parlors because of the coronavirus pandemic. Yeah, it's so a problem. So like, he really wanted to get <laughs> That's one of my his, big problems, too. That's Right. Isn't this just a common problem for everybody? He wanted to go to the uh, massage parlor and get his uh, rub and tug, but he couldn't. So the stress had been building up inside of him, and he decided to uh, reach out and complain about this uh, on All Night Nippon Radio. And the host, this very famous Okamura Takashi, uh, said to him, save your money until after the crisis passes uh, because... There would be a lot of impoverished, pretty girls entering the sex industry after coronavirus is over. Wow. He said this on TV? Uh, this, Where was uh, this? Da, 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 this was like an all-night Nippon radio show. On so, the radio. Okay. Mm-hmm. Doesn't make it any better, but wow. Was he, I, I assume he was trying to make a joke, a bad joke. As a comedian? I'm or not was he sure. serious? Was he just like, let me break it down for you, brother? Well, the, the gay no kai in Japan, the uh, entertainment industry in Japan is notorious for having like, you know, perverted men who are constantly, you know what I mean? Like it's, I guess it's par- apparently notorious for having a, um, I, just sleazy guys. How is this interpreted within Japan? Now, as a foreigner listening to this in a post Me Too world... Like yeah. you can't you can't even make that joke, you know it's distasteful especially in public, and yeah. so he's making it on the radio. Is this something that Japanese media is picking up and running with, or is this like well it's what they do here? Like what's the what's the reaction? I think as many of our listeners know, Japan is not really yet on board with the Me Too movement. That's still lagging behind in many respects, and I think I think you know Japan used to be viewed as like a safe haven for smokers and i recall like back in the late 1990s there was this uh back when cigarettes companies still had commercials on tv this guy got on a boat and, and like rode the boat over to japan just to like smoke cigarettes he was like ah oh, paradise and on the shores <laughs> of japan started smoking cigarettes with japanese people um japan is also a kind of i think haven for chauvinistic pig men uh because the country doesn't really have a me too movement um you know, there was that Shiori... I saw the Yutu, the Yutu movement that Kutu. happened. I think you're talking about Kutu. You... Oh, is that what they called it? Kutu was like, yeah, shoes. Kutu as in ku. Right. Yeah. And, and there was a very important... Um, That's not how it played in the West, though. That would have been too... Yeah. Um, too hard to interpret. So, yeah, over here it was the Yutu movement. I hadn't heard it that, that it was a Kutu, which is... That's a... Okay fun little play on words yeah kutu as in kutsu no ku and it was um like 
women shouldn't be obligated to wear high heels uh, in the office. And so they were mm-hmm. kind of um, pushing back against that. Um, Did anything come come of that? It, I know it got it got some play, got some play on TV. I know there were some men within the industry that started wearing, like uh, the television industry that started wearing high heels on TV as kind of a uh, solidarity type move. But I never, I never heard that, how that played out. And so my intuition is that it just kind of went away. Yeah. Well, according to the Wikipedia page, there's apparently a Wikipedia page on the Kutu movement. It's an ongoing movement uh, against the high heel policy in the workplace. Good. Um, And I, yeah, I, I bet you that because I mean, obviously, the government's not going to come out and make any. It's for each company to sort of decide whether or not they want to follow suit with this or make it a policy initiative. And I, I don't. My guess is that uh, it really hasn't picked up that much traction. Clear, clearly, uh, women are making an effort uh, to make this an issue, and I hope that they succeed. But I wonder how compliance is. I mean, when I think of Japan and um, sort of the status of women currently. I, I recall the Shiori Ito case, like the rape case. I don't know if you're familiar with that. She was a, a journalist and a filmmaker who um, her work focuses on gender equality and human rights issues. And she uh, uh, apparently was sexually assaulted. And um, I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a weird kind of case there were some political ramifications because um the person who assaulted her was acquainted with the prime minister of japan shinzo abe um she was intoxicated slightly maybe so um it's weird she received a lot of back a backlash from people who were like well you shouldn't have been out drinking you know if you're out drinking then that's what you get i mean it's a weird kind of and it's almost like I don't know, you know, 50 years ago in America, well, if you're going to dress that way, then you're just asking to get raped. That that kind of mentality, kind of like, oh, if you're going to go out and drink with the boys, then that's what you I th- get. I think that mentality is, is still around to some extent. And I think that's kind of what part of, you know, this the ongoing, uh, you know, Me Too movement and just society's kind of movement in general to, you know, you hear a lot about consent and you hear a lot about, uh, you know, no means no and trying to educate educate men, I suppose. Um, you hear a lot about it on, you know, coming out of college campuses um, and what the rules are. And, you know, I'm, <laughs> uh, I can't quite relate to a lot of the stories that are coming out. A lot of the, you know, men that are, it's like, well, you, you should, you should know better. And clearly I'm, I'm very much into kind of like we were talking about earlier, personal responsibility. And I think men need to definitely step up and take more personal responsibility for for their side of it and so it's yeah it's a complex issue not just in japan but definitely here in america as well and so but i I think it's good that it's it's being openly talked about and and getting some much needed attention because that's kind of where you start to see society move forwards i think yeah she already actually won the trial uh case but she was only awarded $30,000, 3.3 million yen. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, it's a victory for Japanese women, but I, it's weird. The 
My guess is she took a personal L on that one, though, because she had the trauma of the event. Without a doubt. She got almost nothing out of the settlement. And my guess is that it's going to be very difficult for her to find future employment if she's known as, you know. Well, she left the country because there's so much backlash. Oh, yeah, she, she left the country because there's been yeah, so much. Yeah, I have to imagine. Yeah, so she, I think she's living in the UK now. Um, but anyway, to go back to the original um, Okamura Takashi incident where he was like, hey, just wait until coronavirus, Corona-chan passes and, you know, you can, there'll be beautiful. Are you going to link that picture too? In the sex industry, <laughs> there was some backlash uh, from uh, naturally from women uh, for that one. So Nippon Broadcasting System uh, issued an apology saying that uh, the comments lacked understanding of the current crisis and showed a lack of respect for women. So um, Okamura himself said he deeply regrets his comments, which were extremely inappropriate towards people who are in a different position. But um, yeah, I, I, I think this probably sort of just... Uh, describes or summarizes the position of powerful men in the Japanese entertainment industry in Japan. Like, oh, Corona-chan? Great. There'll be plenty of cheap hookers after this blows over. I mean, it's pretty insensitive. <laughs> Unbelievably insensitive. Well, to, to women, yeah, to women, to, to working families, to people that, you know, who, whose livelihoods are being destroyed by you know, not being able to work. I, I don't know how much of a problem that is in Japan right now. It sounds like everybody's going to work anyways. Um, well, yeah, I don't know. I, I saw, um, I mean, obviously there isn't a hard lockdown and people are just sort of on their own deciding to jishiku suru to, uh, you know, self-quarantine of their own free will. But I saw a video of one of my favorite onsens, um, on the news, the local news last night, and it was completely empty. They had uh, emptied out all the baths. So Jupuku no Yu is a very, very nice sort of onsen resort up in the mountains of Nagano, and they ha they're shut down. Mm -hmm. So um, I think there's huge business impacts. And, um, you know, back to sex workers, Japan is offering sex workers financial aid, apparently. That's like uh, another thing that's sort of splashed in the news recently is that... Um, one of the targets for the massive stimulus package of 108 tw trillion Japanese yen will be uh, sex workers in Japan. I mean, I don't know how they can... A lot of sex workers don't really want to self-describe as a sex worker, though. So I think this creates a bit of a predicament. Like, if you are going to help them, and they're doing it sort of um, anonymously, how, how would that even work? I don't know. Well, and I, I don't know a whole lot about the the delivery health industry, I believe it's called. Well, I know I've I know I've read articles about how you get women that are that are, you know, not Japanese who are brought into the country under usually under false pretense and then they have their passports taken away by, you know, whoever brings them there and they're kind of forced into these situations, right? Yeah. And so I don't know how you're, you're probably, I mean, if that's true, you're probably going to have these people that are going to then exploit them again. And it's like, okay, go get us our, go get your free government money and, you know, give it to me. Um, yeah. So I don't know. It's just, it's a terrible situation all the way around. I don't even know how prevalent, you know, it is in Japan. 
Because you don't see it. They they do a pretty good job of keeping it off the streets and most I don't know, dude. I, I it's pretty it's pretty obvious actually when you get around. I mean, um there's a whole onsen resort area in, in Nagano that uh for example the, the voluntary fire department in my town, they the young men who are in that group, they go to that sort of red light district town every mm-hmm. year to have this big overnight uh, Nomikai hoedown. And I don't know what percentage of the young men decide to go out and partake uh, in the after hours music show by the water world, uh, however you want to describe it, you know, prostitution at night. But mm-hmm. but certainly that is the appeal and that's why they decide to go to that, that area. Interesting. Um, and I know that, you know, Kabukicho is famous for having um, a lot That's of the venues. one that, yeah, comes to mind. But yeah, but if you go to the Wikipedia site for human trafficking in Japan, um, it states that in 2017, the U.S. State Department um, placed Japan on tier two, which was an improvement. Um, and I don't know how, what changes they made to, to get that um, status changed, but um Anyway, it seems like maybe there is some effort at combating human trafficking in Japan or at the very least at making it seem like less of a problem PR-wise because uh, some things are are definitely changing in the categorization of where Japan stands internationally with the U.S. State Department. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the first first time I actually went to Shinjuku was on a whim after dark and I didn't I didn't understand that there were parts of Shinjuku that were you know I, I must have wandered into Kabuki Cho because it was far seedier than anything I had seen up until that point. And I had only this was probably my first it was my first trip to the country and it was within the first week. And so you know you're doing all the tourist stuff and then the you know the night you get off you're like I'm gonna go explore this part of town. And uh I don't know. It was, yeah, it was a very different experience, but not one that I've, I've repeated. So it's interesting that it's that, that widespread outside the city. Yeah. I think you can go to any, I think any city for the most part has a red light district. Um, wow. Yeah. So what article did you have? I, I'm I've already, well, I think it'd be, I think, I think it'd be tasteless at this point. <laughs> Really? Yeah, no, it was, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, no, we can't, we should have done mine first. <laughs> uh, which article were you talking about? I, I linked you to. Which article? I, I could talk about it I, if you don't want to. Well, okay, so I think this is, I think, I hope, it doesn't dig into a lot of details here, but um, so they're in an effort to... Well, they say it in an effort to help keep people home, but this is clearly a you know a financial ploy. Um, Japanese swimsuit models. There's one company in Japan that has these models, and they're going to be getting people to stay home, and they're going to host <laughs> drinking parties, virtual drinking parties over Zoom or I, I don't know what application, but uh, and for just sixty five dollars U.S. dollars. You could have a Zoom drinking party with a Japanese idol. Yeah, pretty much. That is some sabis right there, my friend. And of course, alcohol is not included. You got to bring your own. But sure. Yeah, I mean, think about that. And it's 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 small groups of five, so you get a little personal attention. And and these girls will be hosting five a day, 
probably indefinitely. So hopefully they're getting a good portion of that income, I would hope, and that their, uh, their company's not taking it all. So this is what Okamura Takashi should have said when the young man was like, hey, I can't get delivery health anymore. What am I going to do? He should have said, well, we've got these amazing Zoom parties and you can just yeah. position the, the camera just so and you can just <laughs> rub one out right under the line of sight. Nobody would even notice to relieve some of that pressure you got building up in there, my friend. Um, if when you like really dig into the article, like about the conversation that they had, it was all about how like you'll be able to relieve that pressure soon. I guarantee it. Good things are coming your way. It was. Um, it's so creepy. The sort of the ancient theory of um, like pressure buildup. You know, that's like a common like <laughs> that men, if they don't have like climax after a certain number of days, that like the pressure builds up inside of them and. Gosh, who knows what will happen? Maybe they'll run out on the streets and start raping people or something. I mean, it's just this ridiculous, I don't know. Yeah. Did it say where the man was from? The man that asked the question? Is this or we is this happening in Saitama or Oh, oh Saitama. You want to you want to <laughs> So, yeah, maybe we should do that. So, uh is this can we just at at as the end of this podcast say that maybe next week, maybe 2 weeks from now, we are thinking about doing or rather putting mm-hmm. Saitama on trial. I will be defending Saitama, and you, who were recently called an asshole in the Deep in Japan podcast. A, d- a dickhead. Crew, yeah. A dickhead. For um, defiling Saitama. You, I, I didn't even yeah. see it. You posted something that was a little off color about... I mean, clearly you have hatred I, for Saitama. I made... I, I, I hold Saitama with a... Um, I don't know. It's hard to explain. You know, originally it was a joke where it's like a lot of these news stories coming out of Japan, uh, the crazier ones seem to happen in Saitama. Now, I understand that Saitama is a large, it's a large prefecture. It's got a a large population of people that live in Saitama. So it makes sense that, you know, if something crazy is happening in Japan and it's not happening in Tokyo, it's, you know, very well. Yeah, plus your comments uh, offended like 1.4 million people. Because the po- well, I don't I don't care I don't if you're living in Saitama <laughs> you've alienated potentially so, 1.4 million listeners I, I think to the podcast with these comments <laughs> I think it's hilarious but some people took offense to it uh huh probably Saitama residents would be my guess <laughs> well probably yeah no and I I can understand that but at the same time I mean come on be honest you live in Saitama like. Uh, I think most people in Japan would agree with me unless they're living in Saitama, right? So I mean, this is it, folks. So um, I think I think we need to have a little breakdown. Should we do it next week? I need time to prepare my case, obviously. I want to mm-hmm. come in with, with you know, facts um, and evidence. And uh, yeah, I just want to lay it on the table and be like, this is this is what Saitama looks like to the rest of the world. I've been to Saitama. You know, I, it was it was fine. It was normal enough while I was there, but you can't deny the disproportionate amount of like, you know, clothesline fishing that happens in Saitama, <laughs> among other things. So, so there it is. Uh, the trial is pending. We'll let you know when the date of the trial is coming, and uh, Trevor will be the prosecutor, and I will be yeah. the defender, and you all can be the judge, and you can decide for yourself whether. <laughs> Saitama is basically like a sort of what Trump would call a shithole country or a pleasant place to live. 
well, how are you gonna how are you gonna lump me in with Trump? And you, no, we're not doing that. It's part no. of my defense strategy no, already. Not, I'm, I'm biasing not, the, the jury not what I said. already. No, that's not so what basically, I said. Basically, Trevor, you're saying that it's a shithole prefecture. <laughs> that's not, that's, you're putting words in my mouth. Well, then what are you saying? That's not what I'm what, saying. Wait, what is the the statement here? What? How exactly is Saitama on trial? Basically, man, I really should have wrote a, written a statement rather. Um, you need an indictment. Worst prefecture in Japan. Oh, probably. I mean, I haven't been to all the prefectures, so that's a that's a heavy statement. You don't have to. You're just worst a lawyer prefecture here. that I've visited. Probably. <laughs> um, How about most ridiculous prefecture in Japan? Uh, based on the based on based on the stories I've seen, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but here's the thing. So I want to make sure that everybody knows this is in good fun. I don't have a personal vendetta against Saitama, but I do think it's lulzy as fuck, if we can, you know, put it that way. And uh, and so there's nothing I love more personally. I get I get a little bit of pleasure every time I see a crazy story and it happens in Saitama. It confirms my bias um, and I get just a little dopamine hit. So I, I, I get a lot of um, joy from it. And so I think people, if they listen to my side and they kind of adopt this, this bias, um, that they can get a little, a little bit of joy every time Saitama does something ridiculous or somebody in Saitama does something ridiculous. So. I think you kind of see Saitama as like the Florida of Japan. Is that, would Here, that be and here's, appropriate? Here's the thing. We have a lot of really shitty states in the United States as well. So, and I'm not, I'm not going to, I don't need all the enemies. So I'm not going to call them out, but Americans, I mean, you know, you know, the ones I'm talking about. Um, and if somebody calls out those states, I'm not going to argue with you. And I mean, I come from, from Oregon, you know, and Portland, and I had to put up with Portlandia for like seven seasons of Portland jokes. And they're hilarious because it's absolutely right. So I'm sorry that people in Saitama can't laugh at themselves a little bit the way, you know, I can. Uh, so yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna find some hilarious news articles and I'm going to present them to you and the listeners and then you can be the judge. And I'm actually, I'm interested in hearing your, your thoughts on this. Um, mostly because I've linked you, you know, well, my bias against Saitama and, uh, you indulge it. (laughs) I think you actually, uh, enjoy sending me Saitama articles. So we'll see. And you know what you should do? You need to come up with all the best, go, I mean, go find the articles about how they're, you know, curing cancer in Saitama or helping, <laughs> helping the elderly or, you know, you gotta, you gotta come up with some like, look how amazing Saitama is. And it can't be natural beauty. I've seen it's, there's some. There is none. Is that what you're trying to say? There's no natural beauty in Saitama? I, I'm saying there is some natural beauty in Saitama. It doesn't count. I don't care. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, you, uh, so not in Saitama want... City probably, but. You're, you're, you're saying that it's not about the landscape or the features of Saitama. It's the 1.4 million people that are, that all, are sh- shitty ev- in yes. Saitama? All, all 1.4. Exactly. <laughs> or million <laughs> residents. I, have a, I mean, these are basically Tokyoites because the people that work in Tokyo no. end up living in Saitama and then commuting to Tokyo. So you're, you're basically saying they're too, they're the bedtown to of Tokyo is a shithole and the people who live there... It's like that's yeah, but that's like what Newark in New Jersey. So so Saitama is the New Jersey of Japan. Yeah, is that their claim to fame that they're 
what do, what do people think about New Jersey? If you're living in Manhattan, Saitama, Japan's Jersey, Saitama, yeah. <laughs> Man, they should put that on a T-shirt. I'm gonna make that into a hat. I'm gonna I'm gonna play us out with Saitama's prefectural song. How about that? I I heart Saitama. Hat, brilliant, genius. <laughs> and if this is the song, I think it is also genius. I linked this, and uh, it you know it didn't play well either. But I think they've got a hit here. So yeah, play us out. So, and uh, we'll uh, also, maybe we should put up some merch, maybe make Saitama great again hats or something. Ooh, there you go. Linking me back to, <laughs> linking me back to Trump. Don't do that. This isn't a political statement. This is not a political statement one way or another. This is just my personal bias against 1.3 million people. Makes sense. Um, I hope everybody enjoys what's coming down the pike because this is going to be epic and if you have any ideas or articles or links that you'd like to send me either for or against saitama leading up to the trial <laughs> of saitama prefecture oh, please hit me up you can dm me in the deep in japan uh i mean everybody knows my username you can dm me or you can post it up in the deep in japan group uh i'd like to see a little bit of discussion on this prior to the debate because frankly i don't know shit about saitama and it's going to be hard for me to play the role of the defendant Unless you do a really crappy job as a prosecutor. Well, can, I, can I can I let you in on a secret? Sure. I don't know shit about Saitama either. So I think you we're just about enjoy. <laughs> I just enjoy ripping on Making it. Making fun of it. Okay. Yeah. No. And you know what? If you're pro Saitama, like take it as a personal mission to change my mind. Send in those links. Give him ammunition. Saitama sucks. Change my mind. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> And with that, ない。名所もない。さらに郷土愛もない。だけど味愛知でかい。団地がある。だんだんだんだんだんだんだんだ埼玉。埼玉の人はなぜかわからないが、東京の人よりも東京に詳しい。ある他の下だとか上野の雨
全部ドームはドームなのに雨に濡れる金融率が日本一そして巨乳好きも日本一男と女が今日もすれ違うダンダンダンダダンダンダンダンダダ埼玉名産がなさすぎてご当地キティはサイのかぶり物でたまに乗ってるただのダジャレ経済企画庁の調べによると住みにくい県第一は埼玉しかも6年連続ダンダンダンダダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンダンビロスタパーマイナスのチェもちろんライバルは千葉やたらとやたらと池袋で遊ぶ海がないくせにサーファー多すぎドンチが大好き満喫大好きおやつはゼリーフライ埼玉市はひらがなポー埼玉市はひらがな埼玉市はひらがな埼玉市はひらがななんでだなんでだなんでひらがななんですかバカだからかなバカだから漢字が全然読めないのかなこないだこの歌を埼玉で歌ったら目の前にいたヤンキーマジギレダンダンダンダンダンダンダンセブ新宿線飛ぶ途上線僕のふるさとは佐賀県だけど実は生まれた場所は春日部ダンダンダンダンダンダンダンだから大好き埼玉